Today, we're going to just do a summary lesson, not necessarily summary of the seven lessons, but really there's an eighth chapter in the book, and it's called uh, The Journey Beyond. I've entitled today's message, Abiding in a Changed Life, Abiding in a Changed Life. Most of us are aware that when you want to change a habit, it requires at least 21 days of deciding that you want to exchange one habit for another. And we've been told, and it's ingrained in our mind, that in order to change that habit, it will require 21 days of constant working at it. Well, I don't know if I have good news or bad news, but I have some news that is beyond that. And that is, if you're familiar with Caroline Leaf, that's done this study about the brain and how the brain responds and, and reacts to different things. She says that, yes, it's true that you can change a habit in 21 days, but it takes 63 days to change a mindset. 63 days to change a mindset. Do you know that you can change a habit without changing a mindset? You can stop doing something and be mad about it that you're not doing it. You can even stop doing, make a change for the right reason and be disgusted with the fact but that it's not giving you maybe the, the warm fuzzies or the feeling that bad habit was given you and you haven't developed it in the new habit yet. And so you're mad about the fact that you're not getting the good stuff from the bad way, but you know you want to change to the good. And so you change over, but you have yet to develop your mindset into the new. 63 days to change a mindset. Wow, that's an eye-opener. And so you may have made some changes along the way, and yet the reality is perhaps you need to continue on because 63 days changes the mindset, not just the habit. If we just change the habit without the mindset, we'll go back to the habit. That'll happen. And so there's something deeper that needs to happen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. I'm going to read this uh, for you. Because it's very profound what Paul says here. Colossians 1.21. You were alienated from God and your enemies. And you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That is such good news, I'm going to read it again. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Dot, dot, dot. If, verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul says, the change you made will stay if you continue on it. If you continue in it. That's basically what he's saying. And lots of times we are guilty as believers of Christians. Going away. Having a great experience. Maybe a weekend conference. And amazing things happen. And we go back to Monday morning. And things settle into normal. Rather than take the change that we've just learned. And appropriate it into the new. Into the new. I'm guilty as well. We're all guilty. And so we need a, a mindset. That is, needs to be changed. The first Sunday of every month.
we have uh, what we call prophetic ministry and we've trained people up to basically um, uh, essentially what it means is instead of normally we come up and we have an issue that we want prayer for and that's needed as well but this type is different and you just come up to people that have been trained and you say pray for me what is God saying and it's not that we're hearing for you we're hearing with you that's a big distinction we're not hearing for you we're hearing with you so at the beginning of this month I got finished with my responsibilities and I just, there were two up here and I said hey I'm going to just get some prophetic ministry this morning so I walked up and I said, hey, what does God have? And, and they began to pray. And the first thing that they said is, there's going to be massive changes. I'm like, whoa, okay. I, uh, I was pondering that because immediately my mind goes to structural changes. Like for instance, we, we, won't, even, we won't even have structure anymore. It'll just be totally free-for-all, whatever, whoever, whenever, Holy Spirit's in charge, why, what fun. And I, I was, th that's immediately how I think when I hear massive changes. And you might think different, but that's just me. So I was asking God about this, and he said, you know, really, really what I want my body of Christ to make massive changes in is to actually believe what the Scripture teaches. So that's what I would love to see massive changes in. Not the structure. The structure will expand. But if my people would actually believe what I've written there is for them and they can do it with my power, that's what I would love to see massive changes in. And I'm like, I'm in, God. Let's do this thing. And I'm not talking about doing away with dogma. Like the Bible's the word of God and Jesus is the only way to salvation and we need the Holy Spirit's power and prayer is significant and Jesus is returning again. Those are like non-negotiables, all right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff that, you know, Tammy that referenced in her group that they came in with eye issues and the immediate thing was we're going to pray and see God heal. That's the kind of belief I'm looking for in God's church. And we have it here. We have a seed of that. But we need to see more. We need to see more. So that's kind of, the, that, that encouraged me. These two ladies, up, they, were, they were the mouth, mouthpiece that God was using. It really encouraged me. And I was blessed by that. So as we look today in abiding and change, what is the word? That's a great word, isn't it? Abiding. You like that word? I think it's an interesting word. It, it means to continue, uh, to um, remain, or to stay. Kind of like we give commands to our animals, right? You know? Not cats, but dogs. I don't, think, I don't think cats understand stay, right? But dogs usually do. You know, stay in it. Stay in the change because it's going to bring food, fruit in your life. So I, I love the word abiding. But in the, the, the eighth chapter or the bonus chapter as I call it in the book, I look at a way for you to get the most out of your Bible reading. And I want to look at just a simple outline of how, as you read the Bible, you can begin to extract more from it than perhaps what you are now. One of the testimonies was, was the fact that they've just been reading their Bible on a more consistent basis, and that blesses God and blesses the person. 
But in Ezra, the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, Ezra 7.10, it gives us really a three-prong approach to getting the most out of our Bible reading. And uh, Ezra was the priest in the Old Testament. He was the one, Nehemiah was the one that built the wall, the physical wall around Jerusalem after the, uh, the people came out of captivity of Babylon for 70 years. He built the wall. And then Ezra came down after that to make sure that the people were, re were revised in their faith. So he was the one that was given the task to restore people's faith in God and make sure they walked it out. Nehemiah was given the task to actually build the physical wall around so again it was safe from the enemies and they could begin to prosper again. So Ezra had this mandate on him. And in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 10, it says this. He says, For Ezra had set his heart to seek the Lord, uh, seek the law of the Lord, to obey it, and to teach God's statutes and judgments in Israel. There's really three-pronged approach that are used. So the first thing that in order to get the most out of your Bible reading is this. What does the Bible say? That's where we start. What does the Bible say? It's really a SOS. That's kind of the, the, the acronym that we're using. What does the Bible say? It says, for Ezra set his heart to seek the law of the Lord. So Ezra purposed to study the Bible for himself. He purposed not just to, to come to a public meeting and have it read, but he actually sought to do it on his own. He actually purposed to have a, a, probably a daily time with God. Consistently in the word. God what are you saying? What does this mean to me? He was personally involved. Now in order to do that. What does the Bible say? There's really three aspects of that. The first one is context. In other words when the Bible was written. It was given to a group of people. With a specific purpose in mind. And we may not be in that uh, obviously we weren't in that culture many of us we didn't live during that time but we could still understand what is being said and so in order to get the most out of our Bible reading we have to ask the question what is the context we can't just pull a verse out of the Bible even though it can speak to us we have to look well why was that verse put in there what was happening around that verse that's speaking so much to me today now if God's speaking to you through one verse that's great but most of the time, we, we pull something out of its context and then we, we communicate it to mean something different than it was ever intended because we didn't put it in the context it was in. And so it's important for us to understand. In fact, that's what's going on in our nation today. We are taking historic documents like the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and, the, and even the Declaration of Independence and we're pulling it out of its original context of what the people had in mind and we're framing it according to what we think today. And that's a violation of interpretation. Even in history today, history is being extracted out just because today's generation doesn't like it. Well, it might not be right and we might not like it, but we don't take it out. It's something that we learn from not to repeat, right. not to pull it out and say, oh, it doesn't belong. No, it did belong. So the context is extremely important. What did it mean to the original people? And then the next thing, in fact, a couple of verses there that relate to that. John 5, 37 through 40. I'll just kind of uh, capture the essence of that. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, you are diligently looking at scripture. You are diligently reviewing the scripture, but your heart is far from me. 
You're looking to find life in this word apart from me, Jesus said. And it can't happen. It's going to end up being rules and regulations and it won't be life-giving. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you're diligently searching scripture, but you're not putting it in context because everything that we read here is about Jesus and about God's character and about his love for us and how he helps us through life. So context is pretty important. Then Luke 24, 27. This is on the road to Emmaus when, when Jesus was walking with two disciples and they were kind of mystified about the, the events and Jesus said, what happened? As if he didn't know. And then it says that he began to reveal the scriptures starting at Moses and the prophets concerning himself. What was going on? He was taking the day's events and he was putting them in context for those two guys. He said, listen, this started way back with Moses and all the way through the prophets and then he brought it up to present day. So context is important in our study. What did it mean to the original people? The next is we have the content. And that's normally where we focus on what is being said, what is being communicated. Is it a command to obey? Is it a promise to hold? Is it a direction to follow? Is it a statement to agree with? All of those relate to context. And then finally, we get to our, our culture. I call it encultural. Uh, let me approach that word again. Enculturate. Enculturate. Billy, he comes from an engineer background. He said, I've never heard that word before. I said, well, welcome to ministry, brother. <laughs> Enculturate. What does it mean? It means basically that we take the meaning of something that we've read and then we say, okay, now how does that apply to me today? In my workplace, with my family, with my friends, that which I fellowship with. How does that apply to me today? That's really the third level that we get to in what is the Bible saying. First is context, second is content, and then finally we bring it into our culture. What the world does, they do it exactly backwards. They start with the culture that we live in and values that we have now, and then they might get to context and they usually forget the context. They leave that out because that would change everything in the present day if they would go back to Con, uh, context. The second aspect is this. What do I need to obey? What did Isaiah do? I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Ezra. Ezra said, for he had set his heart to seek the Lord, the law of the Lord, and to obey it. So this is what Isaiah is doing in his personal life. He's studying the word and he's obeying the word before he gets to teaching the word. We'll get there next. And that should be the progression of what you and I focus on. That we actually read the word and know it. That we then begin to live it in our life. And then after that we share it with others. And that Isaiah set out this, this pattern here for us. I'm not necessarily a big fan. But um, uh, I, I, once in a while I just kind of hop on to see what this guy's saying. His name's Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian psychologist. I don't... I don't know that he's a follower of Jesus. He could be. He bumps up to the line a lot. So the one that captured my attention, and you may believe he is, and never mind, we won't go there. But I was watching the video last night where he talks about the fact that he is no longer an atheist. I'm like, well, you're making progress, brother. <laughs> but in the middle of the thing, he usually uses, you know, he's, I don't know, if, I'm sure he has one PhD. He might have several. And he usually uses language that's way above me and every once in a while he'll pop into eighth grade language and I'm like I get that 
This is what he said. He said, proof of belief is found in the action. Proof of belief is found in the action. It doesn't mean to state it, but to act it out. Unless you act it out, you should be very uncomfortable about claiming it. If you are capable of believing it, it would be a transfiguring event. God only knows what you would be if you believed it. So truth, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Jesus just bottom lined that. But there's some real truth he was speaking there. What are three aspects of obeying that we need to consider before just the action? We need to start back two steps before that and and ask the question, are we in faith for this? Are we in faith for this? That's a key missing element. Because sometimes people say, well, you need to change. You need to obey that. Well, I don't even know if I'm in faith for it. What does it mean to be in faith something? It means that you've actually heard God that he wants you to make the change. And you've also maybe talked to two or three others and they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. We will pray for you that you can make the change that you, that God has shown you, you need to make. See, if we're not in faith for something, it will fail because we're doing it on our own strength and not his. But when we're in faith with something and someone else, then there's a power and a strength that's available that we don't have. And so you can't make the change or to be short term unless you're in faith for it. The second is our attitude. I mentioned that earlier when I started out the sermon is our attitude. You know, you can make a change and still have the wrong attitude. And you can be grumbling about a change. You can be negative about a change. I'm making this change, but I'm still mad about it, you know. And so attitude's huge because attitude really reveals what's in our heart. Not what's in our head, what's in our heart. What kind of attitude do we have about it? That's so important to understand that when we obey, it's not just the action itself. That's third. First of all, are we in faith for it? Second of all, are we, what's our attitude about it? And sometimes that needs to be worked out. And then we jump into the action. And when you do that, you'll see amazing, amazing things take place. Number three, what should I share with others? Again, the last part of this verse 10, Ezra says this, and to teach God's statutes and judgments in Israel. After Ezra learned what the scripture was saying, he obeyed it himself, and then he began to teach Israel. That was that he was a man of character. He wasn't doing something that he wasn't living, and he worked it out. And therefore, it was a was a absolutely... Great job that he did. First Thessalonians 2, 6 through 13, really outlines this idea of, of uh, that sharing with others. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to this church, and he says this. He says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, We were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Verse 8, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives 
as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. The Apostle Paul outlines the fact of how he contributed to living the gospel as he shared the gospel. It wasn't that he just preached the gospel. He was also among the people. He was living that. He was showing them the character of Christ as he was living. And so as we, as we share with others, the first thing we need to understand is we're sharing with them to please God. We're not sharing with them because they need to know it or we need to tell them some truth. We're really sharing with them first and foremost to please God. Because God has shown us something that's transformed our life that we're like bubbling over in order to share it. I remember we uh, sent a mission team to Kenya and we had uh, a word before they sent out that they were going to see signs and wonders and miracles. And I, I, I agreed with that word even though it hadn't happened yet. And there's some folks in here that were on the team. And they, once they got to Kenya, they started, they were in a new area and it was, it was impoverished and God started doing amazing, amazing things. And I got one call or one text or one email, I forget what. And, and they were like, we are seeing God do amazing, amazing things. Miracles are taking place. And I go, yes. And I had to tell somebody. And we had an office under a little uh, gas station right down the street at that time. It was called the Red Apple Deli. And I remember just coming out of my office, like, I got to tell somebody. And I went up and I found the manager of the store. And I said, listen, this is what's going on. <laughs> and they were like, wow. <laughs> so good news is meant to be shared. But it's to please God. The second aspect of Paul says is uh, let them see my changed life. Let them see my changed life. Verse 8, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Well, that's so key. And then finally in verse 9, he says, don't be a burden to others. He says, we weren't a burden to you. Have you ever shared uh, with people when you feel like you were a burden to them? <laughs> I wish you would be quiet, you know. <laughs> no. The fact is that sometimes we can share things and it just becomes a burden to them to share. Paul said, I, I didn't do anything that was a, a burden to you. I shared with you what was meaningful so that you could see that God is real. He's alive and he's loving. And we should have the same heart and attitude when we share with others. First of all, we're doing it to please God. And then second of all, we are doing it because we are living this changed life. And then third of all, we're doing it, we're sharing with them, not to be a burden to them, but to help them get set free. So critical and so important. So this changed life moving forward, the question is, will we continue to live the changed life? Even the small nuggets that we found and that we've encountered, the testimonies that have been here, will we continue to live the changed life and even grow in it? Or will we go back eventually and drift back into the way that it was before? That's the question. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need to be in a body to encourage one another, to move forward and to, to seek God. But Ezra, Ezra had the right understanding that he said he set his heart to seek the Lord. Do you have a heart set to seek the Lord? See, we're not really trying to look at whether or not you get it right all the time. That's not really what God's looking at. That's what the world looks at. 
But that's not what we look at. We look at the heart of the individual and say, which way are you headed? What, do, what, are, you, what are you doing? Where are you going? Get into the heart. That's where Jesus looks at. It's not necessarily the action that is taking place, even though it includes that. And then Ezra, he obeyed. When he saw something he needed to do, he did it. And then finally, he was able to share that because of living it personally. And then he was able to share that in a way that was meaningful. So there you have it. Get the most out of your Bible reading. What does the Bible say? Context, content, and then enculturation. What does, what do, what do I need to obey? I have to join faith first. Faith with God, faith with maybe my spouse, faith with maybe somebody in my small group, join faith. Then my attitude. What's my attitude about the change? Good, bad, and different? And then finally the action follows. And then sharing. We get to share with others the good news that we ourselves have received. And that's so critical and important. So the question I leave you with, Crossroads family and those online that are Crossroads family, those that are listening that is Crossroads family, will we continue to live a changed life and grow in it? To see more of God's goodness flow through our lives. That's our goal. That's our desire. That's what I plan to lead. Because I know that God has more changes in my life to make. As I just heard the prophetic word. Massive changes. God's already speaking to me. About some of those things that are. And he's saying. You know. I wish my church would truly believe. What I've written here. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing. That can't happen in this world. I'll finish with this story. I wanted to encourage the Friday prayer group that, that uh, prayed for our city. It's called Pray Winchester. You're welcome to join us from 8 to 9 in the prayer room. And there's a group that pray. And I wanted to encourage them. And so I saw this testimony of a, of a teacher. He was teaching yoga. And... He went to a nominal church growing up, but uh, he got, he got in, involved in yoga and he began to teach that. He said, you know, for all per practical purposes, I thought I had the spirit inside of me. And he said, I, I, thought, that, I thought that I was okay. I'd wake up at three in the morning and I would, I would go through for two hours and I'd do my mantras and I would do my prayers and I went through life. In fact, he was teaching. He was in a university town. He had like three groups of people that he taught and one day the newspaper did a story on him and uh, he thought wow this means more business but those that read the newspaper was a prayer group in a church and they said you know we're going to pray for this person for 24 7 and so they started praying that's all they did. They started praying for this gentleman that thought, again, he was in the right, and yet he was being deceived. And he said, then it happened. He said, he was trying to live his life. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a TV. He stayed single. I mean, he was trying to live a chaste life. He hitchhiked everywhere. So he got out, and he was hitchhiking someplace to go teach a class. And one of the people in the prayer meeting was going to do their laundry. 
They had dirty clothes. The Holy Spirit said, drop your clothes and get in your car. I'll show you where to go. They're like, what, God? You want me to, I've got to do my dirty clothes. God said, you can do that later. i got an assignment for you. Got in the car, started driving, turned here, turned there. And then they saw a gentleman with his thumb out, hitchhiking. I never pick up hitchhikers. God said, this one you will. The gentleman got in the car and saw a Jesus picture up over the dashboard and said, wow, I think I'm in a safe car. And the driver looked over and said, Do you, would you like to know Jesus? He said, absolutely, I'd like to know Jesus. He said, come to the prayer meeting tonight. The guy said, no, I don't want to come to the prayer meeting tonight. I want to pray now. Before that, that day, he decided, <clears throat> led up to that, left a detail out that's important. He decided, because the group was praying, he decided suddenly he was just going to read the Bible all day long and nothing else. And that's what he did. I want to encourage you. Well, long story short, once he found the truth, he got set free and he went and canceled all of his classes. He said, I found the truth. And I don't want to lead people in a direction that's not the truth. And now I, I realize that the Spirit is in me. Now the Spirit is in me and I'm set free. You know, I share that story because I believe that God wants to empower the church in a way that we just can't even ask or imagine. That when we see a news article in the paper, instead of going, <clears throat> I wish they would leave town, or I wish they would quit, or I wish they would whatever, we begin to engage God in prayer. And say, so, you know what, God, we're not going to give up until we see change happen. Whatever that means, whatever the situation is. I'll tell you what, that so invigorated me to realize that we can probably do way more in prayer than we can protest and even in politics. I know we need to do a due diligence in there, but I'm believing that God wants to call the church to learn how to pray in a way that we've never experienced before. And I think he's ready to show us. Stand up with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come and just receive from you an understanding of how to read your word in a way that is so life-giving that we can't wait to get back to it. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we come to you, God, and opening up the, your word, Lord, that you will begin to show us the pattern that you set forth that is really shown to us through Ezra, that we would say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? And then what do I need to obey as a result of this? And what do I need to share with others, Lord? And God, I pray that as we take that pattern and begin to integrate it into our lives, that we will see incredible changes. We will see the love of God flow through us. We will see Jesus revealed. We will hear the Holy Spirit speak to us and redirect our lives like never before. So thank you, God, that you are good as we started this service today. We, you, you, we, we just we can't express how good you are. And I thank you, Lord, for another privilege of living for you, having breath in my lung to express that praise today, Lord. God, I pray blessing over those here. I pray, Father, if there's someone here that has not made you Lord Jesus, that they would do so this morning with a simple way of saying, Lord, come into my life and be Lord. I want to serve you. 
for the rest of my life. Thank you, Father, for drawing us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for sustaining our change. In Jesus' name, amen.